Well, do me a favor. First of all, turn to your neighbor and say, glad you came. Would you do that? Because I am glad that you came. To those of you who are watching online, uh, thank you for joining us today. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. I am speaking on abortion. We're in a series where we're dealing with kind of some hot topics today. By the way, we had a great Q&A session uh, this past Wednesday night. In fact, we had, a, we had to bring tables and we had a packed place over there in the corner theater. And uh, we're going to be doing it again on February the 1st. So if you'd like to come in and be a part of that, uh, we come one, come all. And we had some interesting questions. I'll just leave it at that. If you were there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Every year, the Oxford English Dictionary declares a word of the year. It's a word that they say, and I'm quoting, has lasting potential as a word of cultural significance. Well, in 2016... The Oxford English Dictionary declared that the word of the year was, you ready for this? Post-truth. Post-truth. Now, what does that word mean? Well, they defined it this way. It's relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In other words, put it simply, here's what they were saying. We're living in a day and an age now in a culture and a country where we're being taught and we're now practicing a belief that feelings are more important than facts. That's the world we live in today. It doesn't matter what the fact, don't confuse me with the facts. My feelings dictate my actions. We're in a series, if you're joining us today for the first time, we're calling Facing the Truth. And we've been looking at issues that frankly within the church and in the culture are very real. And even though they're being more and more universally accepted outside the church, I don't believe they should be accepted inside the church. And so today, we're gonna to be dealing with a topic that is emotionally supercharged, and I understand that. In fact, it probably ought to come with a sign that kind of looks like this. It's such a hot topic. There are pastors today that are adamant. They will tell you up front, we don't deal with this topic. We're not going to talk about this topic. We're not going to preach on this topic. This is not going to be broached in our church whatsoever. It's too hot. The elephant in the room is too big. And that topic is abortion. It is an issue that's caused an ongoing battle in this nation for half a century. And so I'll just kind of give you a few facts to kind of let you know why it's a big deal to me. It should be a big deal to you according to global data on population and health, abortion is now the world's leading cause of death. 42% of all deaths are because of abortion. Now to put that in perspective, that's more than cancer, heart disease, diabetes. The world was shut down over the spread of a virus called COVID-19, big deal. We'll never forget it. Changed our world. Never get over it. You know how many people died from COVID-19 so far? 1.9 million. In one year, there are 42 times more babies aborted in one year than have died of COVID. Last year, 42.6 million children were aborted. It's unbelievable. 8.2 million people died because of cancer, 5.1 million people from smoking, 2.5 people from alcohol, but 42 and a half million were aborted. Now, 
I want to be very clear about something, so listen carefully. This is not just a moral issue. It's not just an ethical issue. It's not just a cultural issue. It's not just a medical issue. It's not even just a legal issue. It's a big deal to me because it is a racial issue. Abortion has taken more black American lives than every other cause of death combined since 1973. More than crime, more than cancer, more than accidents, more than heart disease, more than AIDS, more than COVID. In the United States, the abortion rate for black women is almost four times that of white women. On average, 900 black babies are aborted every single day in this country. Since Roe v. Wade, 19 million black babies have been awarded. So you're for civil rights? You're for racial equality? Really? Then let's talk about abortion. Now, those who know me know I'm unashamedly pro-life. I'm pro-life for life. And I realize right now, let me just get it out. There are some of you right now, even in this room, you feel differently. You consider yourself pro-choice. That's all right. What I'm going to ask those of you who are watching right now, and even in the room mentally, you may be tempted right now. You've already heard enough. You want to change the channel. You want to flip the switch. You want to turn me off. You want to tune me out. I'm going to ask you to hear me out 60 seconds. That's all. Just 60 seconds. Then do what you want to do. I, I believe that one of the most important things in this debate is compassion. I, and, and, and I don't want to just say what's true today and what I believe is true. I want to say it with respect. I want to say it with kindness. Uh, I, you know, we, we live in a free country and you have the right to believe what you want to believe and feel what you want to feel. I'm not here to shame anybody for decisions that you made in the past. If you're watching right now, you're in this room and you're a lady and you've had an abortion. I'm not here to put you on a guilt trip. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to judge you. Here's all I'm asking us to do. Would you be willing today to think about this issue in three ways? Let's think about it biologically. Let's think about it logically. And let's think about it theologically. That's all I'm asking you to do, particularly if you claim to be a believer. You claim to be a follower of Jesus. You are a Christian and you believe at least, well, maybe God ought to have a, at least one saved, not the final say. So I just pray to right now, if that's you, it's okay. I'm willing to listen. Let's just face the truth. Now, when I say pro-life, you probably think about politics. Let me give you some good news. I'm going to leave the politics out of it. Because again, I, I just want to make the case today that being pro-life, if you're being honest, is the only logical, biological, and theological position that you take if you're willing to face the truth. So I want you to keep in mind one thing today. The right to life, to me, is the right side for life. The right to life is the right side for life. So we're going to just say three things. Just hang with me. Put all your feelings aside, what you hear in the media, put it all aside. Let me say three things. Number one, being pro-life is biologically confirmed. Being pro-life is biologically confirmed. Now, David, I'm going to point to several scriptures today, by the way, 
But in Psalm 139, if you want to turn to it, just was right in the middle of the Bible. But in the 139th Psalm, David wrote something that was amazing. Now remember, David was not an obstetrician. He was not a gynecologist. He had no medical training whatsoever. But God was speaking to David, and I want you to listen to what God said to David when he wrote this psalm. He said, David's talking to God, and he said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Now, David's talking about himself in his mother's womb. So, was he more than just a blob of protoplasm? Well, one of the best friends of the pro-life position, one of the things I'm so excited about, and I'm glad we live in the 21st century, one of the best friends of the pro-life position is medical science. And I welcome medical science. This is one case for sure. I'm a pro-science guy. Because guess what? In the last 25 years, the more medical science has, has advanced, the more the pro-life position becomes stronger. Now, again, I'll be upfront. I'm a pastor. I'm not a medical doctor. But what's very interesting is when you go to some very standard embryological texts that are used in prominent medical schools, you learn that a big part of the scientific community, leaving politics aside, a big part, I didn't know this, a big part of the medical community now it freely admits that the life of a brand new organism that is, the moment when a sperm and an egg join together to form an embryo, otherwise known as a zygote, they actually believe that happens at conception. That's not what I'm saying. That's what they say. I'll give you an example. A medical textbook used in a lot of medical schools is called Langman's Medical Embryology. It describes what really happens at fertilization, that is, at conception. This is what happens. An X-carrying sperm produces a female double X embryo, and the Y-carrying sperm produces a male XY embryo. Hence, the chromosomal sex of the embryo is determined at fertilization. In other words, really to put it simply, they're simply saying that when that sperm and that egg join together, the sex of that being that's formed, that sex is determined at that moment. So when the conception takes place, you've got a brand new human of a particular sex in existence. As a matter of fact, at that moment, that unborn infant is just getting started in its development. Because another embryology textbook says this, a zygote is the beginning of a new human being. This is a medical book, this is not what I'm saying. It is the beginning of a new human being, i.e. an embryo. Human development begins at fertilization when a male gamete or sperm unites with a female gamete or oocyte to form a single cell, a zygote. This highly specialized cell marks the beginning of each of us as a unique individual. So, okay, I know that's a lot of medical jargon. I don't want to lose you in the weeds. So you say, okay, what exactly does that mean? It means this. When a woman conceives, when she becomes pregnant, she has her body. Her body's still her body. But that unborn baby is not a part of her body. It is a separate body. And by the way, again, I've done my homework. That's not what I'm saying. This is what an obstetric nurse says. This is a lady that works with it. Listen to this carefully. It is the placenta umbilical cord which separates the mother from the baby and proves that the fetus was never apart never a part, never a part of its mother's body. 
The placenta and umbilical cord exist precisely because the baby has a different and separate circulatory system from the mother and their blood must not intermingle. If the fetus were not a separate human being, but were only another part of its mother's body, it would not need a placenta and an umbilical cord to separate them. It would simply grow inside one of her body cavities like a tumor without any barriers between the two to protect each of them. So in other words, when a woman says, it's my body, absolutely true. No argument with that whatsoever. But read my lips. The baby she carries is not a part of her body. It is a separate body. That's just, I, look, I'm talking biology. It's just biologically and simply uh, scientifically true. The woman's body has its own body, its own blood type, its own sex. But the baby, listen to this, the baby has its own blood type, only blood type, its own sex, its own distinct and separate DNA and genetic material. So from the beginning of conception, what do we find? Here's a human being that is coming into being. So for example, after 24 days, that baby, that conception has a heartbeat. After 40 days, it has measurable brain waves. Now, Medically speaking, let me tell you when a person is dead. A person is clinically and medically dead when they have no heartbeat and they have no brain waves. But if you have a heartbeat and you have brain waves, you are considered a living human being. And the scientific fact that cannot be denied, the biological truth is what an abortion does, it does two things. It stops a beating heart and it stops measurable brain waves. Now, you do your homework, you find some fascinating things about these babies in the womb. For example, a study from Great Britain recently found, listen to this, babies early in pregnancy prefer to look at face-like images while they're in the womb. Very early, they can recognize and distinguish between taste. Later in the term, they can recognize words, tunes, and languages. As early as six weeks after conception, six weeks, Babies can feel it when doctors inflict pain. Now, because we're public and we're in a mixed audience, we've got some young people here. I'm not going to go, because abortionists really hate this, I'm not going to go into the gruesome procedures that unborn babies go through when they're aborted. I'm not going to, I would never even try to do that, because I realize that's not going to get us very far. I will just simply tell you this. If abortion procedures happen anywhere except outside a mother's womb, not only would we be outraged, people would go to jail if it happened outside of a mother's womb. The fact of the matter is, the pro-life position is biologically confirmed. What is conceived by medical science is a human being. But let's put that aside. Let's say you're one of those people and just say, I don't give a rip what biology says. Let's put that aside. Being pro-life is logically consistent because now we're gonna get to the heart of the matter. Let me tell you, we, we can really boil down this whole abortion debate down to one simple question, at least for me, should be for you. Here's the question. Either what is conceived in the womb at that moment is a human being or it's not. That's the whole debate right there. To me, the debate's over. If it's not a human being, what do we care? If it is a human being, different ballgame. And by the way, 
That's what the Supreme Court said in Roe v. Wade in the 14th Amendment. This is something a lot of people don't, don't know about Roe v. Wade. They said exactly the same thing. Let me explain what I mean. The 14th Amendment, that's not Roe v. Wade, the 14th Amendment, which was, which was passed right, out, right after the Civil War, says this, the state shall not deprive any person of life without due process of law. When that amendment was written, it was very clear what the legislators meant. A person was a human. Because remember, the amendment was passed in relation to the freeing of slaves. Because there was a time slaves were not considered fully human. They were what? Three-fifths. So the amendment was passed, and let's make no mistake, that we're all humans, we're all persons. We all should never, ever be deprived of life without due process of law. A person in that sense was a human. They say, why is that so important? Because when the Supreme Court passed Roe v. Wade, this is something nobody wants to talk about, but you gotta do your homework. When the Supreme Court passed Roe v. Wade, they made a statement. You won't read this in the media, but go read it for yourself, it's there. Here's what they said. If the suggestion of personhood, meaning of the unborn, is established, the appellate's pro-abortion case, of course, collapses. For the fetus's right to life is then guaranteed specifically by the 14th Amendment. So here's what the Supreme Court said. This was back now, what, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. 50 years ago, we didn't have the medical science we have today. So the Supreme Court said, now, if medical science determines that at conception, that's a human being, then the whole Roe v. Wade case collapses. We are wrong in what we are saying. That's not what I'm saying, that's what the justice said. So in other words, the court in 1973 just arbitrarily decided without any scientific or medical evidence whatsoever, they just kind of said, well, there's a difference between a person and a human. But nobody makes that argument anymore. We now know that's just not true. A person is a human, and a human is a person. We've already seen the problem now is that pro-choice people have been tainted, painted into a corner because the scientific community recognizes but what's conceived in that womb of that woman is indeed a human being. So as a matter of fact, let's just go back to the moment of conception. We could ask three questions. Question one, is what is conceived human? That is, that is did it come from human beings? Well, we know the answer to that. The answer to that's yes. Here's the second question. Is it a genetically unique individual? Medical science says absolutely. Has its own blood type, has its own genetic uh, DNA. It is a totally complete, uniquely complete and a unique individual. Number three, is it alive and growing? Well, you ladies who've been pregnant, tell me how you look in six months or seven months or eight months. Yeah, it's alive and it's growing. So by any logical account, Unborn babies from conception are human. Because here's what we know after nine months, when, you, when a woman gets pregnant. What is produced after that nine month period is not an animal, it's not a vegetable, it's not a mineral, it's a human being. When you came out of your womb, you were a human being. If you don't believe that, go home, look in the mirror, you were a human being. And that fact alone has logical, tremendous logical implications. Here's one, so now get ready. I'm not trying to make you upset. No, I'm trying to make you mad. We're just gonna get, be honest. Let's just face the facts. The favorite argument out there is, well, I'm personally against abortion, but I'm pro-choice. That, that's, that's the, you know, I'm, I'm against it, but 
I'm pro-choice. Well, I always want to ask people, wait a minute, why are you against it? I mean, the only reason you ought to be against abortion is because you believe that's a human being. If you don't believe it's a human being, why are you against it? But let's just take that argument. I'm personally against abortion, but I, I, I'm, I'm pro-choice. Now, this is what people don't like to face up to. If you're pro-choice, you are, in effect, pro-abortion. There is no difference, practically speaking, between those two, those two choices. Now, I'm going to prove it to you. I want you to imagine you and I are at a table and a woman is pregnant and a doctor's about to abort that child. I say, you know, I'm in favor of you aborting that child, but I'm personally against it. I'm in favor of you having the right to choose to abort that child, but I'm personally against it. You say, on the other hand, I'm not only personally I'm not only personally in favor of your right to choose to abort that baby, I'm in favor of it. At the end of the day, that baby's just as dead. It doesn't matter whether I'm personally against it or not. That doesn't give that baby a whole lot of comfort. So in effect, don't give me this business about, well, I'm per, no, if you are pro-choice, you are pro-abortion. Now, let's take the other classic logical argument, right? This is the other one that's out there. This is a woman's right issue. It is her body, and she should have the right to do with it what she pleases. We don't believe that. We don't even practice that. For example, in most places, I know at least it is here in Atlanta and here in this state, prostitution is illegal. Why is it illegal? If it's a woman's body, and she has a right to do with it whatever she wants, why can't she sell her body for sex? What's the logic behind that? I mean, after all, you say it's her body. Or why can't a woman take cocaine out in public? I'm not trying to be facetious. I mean, I'm saying we're going to face facts. Why can't she use illegal drugs? I mean, if a woman has the right to terminate a baby in the womb, why does she have the right to sell her body for sex or to take drugs or to do whatever matter? I'm, my point is, we don't even believe that when we say it. So here's another one. Somebody says, well, what about the right to privacy? That's another one. What about the right to privacy? Here's my simple answer. Is, it right, is the right to privacy for anyone equal to the right that an unborn baby has to life? And oh, besides that, we don't even believe that. We don't believe the right to privacy is absolute. Is it okay, is it legal for me if I look at child pornography in my home, in my basement, and nobody's looking? No, if somebody finds out, I'm gonna get arrested. But what about my right to privacy? You don't have the right to do that even in privacy. You don't have the right to beat your wife or abuse your child even if it's in privacy. I mean. I'm just being honest with you. I, 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 listen, if, if I'm making you mad, apologize, I'll forgive you. I'm just telling you the logic. It's just not logical. You can't get there logically. Anything you get, you paint yourself into a corner. We don't even believe what we say. So it may cause hardship. Yes, it may in some cases cause, you know, to carry a baby to term. It may be difficult, but it is not morally wrong. It is morally wrong to take a human life. Now, let me state the obvious. Obviously, when a mother's life is truly in jeopardy, different ball game. I've told you my story. When I was being wheeled in, when my mom was being wheeled into, in, into uh, surgery to have me, 
My, da- my doc- the doctor looked at my dad and he said, look, I don't think I can save both of them. I can save the baby. I can save your wife. I can't save both. And my dad made the right. He said, look, you've got to save her. You have to let him die. You got to let, the- I didn't know what I was at the time. You got to let the baby die. You got to let the baby die. I've got to have her. I've got two more kids. Absolutely the right choice. And I, you know, I get that. And I want to say, I don't have time to get into it. I know there are difficult cases like rape. And incest, and I don't have time to get into all these exceptions. I'm just going to ask this question. I'm not trying to blow over it. We can talk about it in Q and A later, but let me just ask your question. I want all of you to ask yourself this question: If you found out today that you were the product of rape or incest, do you wish you'd been aborted? I guarantee you, the answer is no. And the whole point of the matter is this, rape is terrible, incest is terrible, I get that. But no matter how conception takes place, why should an innocent life be sacrificed? The baby had nothing to do with that. The baby wasn't the cause of that. Now, yeah, the state ought to come alongside every woman that brings a child into this world. We ought to give whatever help and aid. We're one of the big contributors, by the way, to Obria. We, we, we put our money where our, our mouth is. But whether it be through adoption or quality foster care or food and shelter, that's a totally different issue. The core issue simply is this. From the time of conception, that baby is a human being. And it's logically consistent to be pro-life. You say, well, I don't care about your biology. (laughs) I don't care about your logic. Well, let's just put that aside for a minute. Let me say one last thing. Being pro-life is theologically commanded. It's commanded. Now, again, I'm talking to believers. If you're not a believer, I get that. We have a totally different worldview. I understand that. But at least for believers, we got to bring theology into the room. We got to put theology on the table because that is the defining issue. I mean, the whole defining issue to me is this. I don't care what the Congress says. I don't care what my logic says. I don't even care what biology says. I want to know one thing about every part of my life. What does God say? What does the book say? Well, what is the creator of all life? What does he say about this whole issue of being pro-life? You say, well, it ought to be obvious. Well, it really isn't. Because according to a LifeWay survey, 70% of women who have abortions self-identify as Christians. So evidently, that's not cut and dried. 70% of women who have abortions identify as Christians. As a matter of fact, 43% say they attended a Christian church at least once or more at the time they aborted the baby. So particularly, I'm talking to those of us listening now, those of us in the room, you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe that my book, I believe my life ought to be guided by the word of God. I want to know what God has to say. Okay, let's just look. Now I'm going to focus mainly on one text. I could give you several, but before I get to one major text, can I go back to Christmas for just a moment? We just celebrated Christmas. If you're watching this down the road, we're about about a month past Christmas. I want to remind you of a story that happened. I'm sure you remember it, but if you don't, I'll refresh your memory. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we're told that Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. Well, the angel Gabriel tells Mary, hey, your cousin is pregnant, and we want you to go visit your cousin. But he had also told Mary she was pregnant. So Mary leaves Nazareth and goes to Jerusalem to visit Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, Mary's just conceived. She's just conceived the child and Elizabeth's six months pregnant. When Mary walks in the door to greet Elizabeth, 
and, and to say hello to Elizabeth. Here's what we're told in Luke 141. The baby leaped in her womb. Why? Because a six-month-old fetus recognized Jesus, knew exactly who he was, and the baby leaped in her room. So let's go back to a book. If you want to turn to a book called Jeremiah, it's right past the book of Psalms. But I want to go back to a book called Jeremiah. He was a prophet. And I want you to read one of the greatest prophets ever lived. I want to read about, let's just read about, how, about his beginning. Because the Lord says something to Jeremiah, and every time I read it, I go, man, I, I can't even get my mind around this. I want you to listen to this. God speaking to Jeremiah. Here's what he says, Jeremiah 1.5. Now watch this. Before I formed you in the womb. Now, ladies, that word form means to weave. Kind of like, um, kind of like you would weave a blanket or, or, or put to, you know, or it, it means put together, like, like you'd put the pieces of a puzzle together. What was God talking about? He was talking about how conception takes place. And what he was saying to Jeremiah was, Jeremiah, you know, when, when your, your mom and dad came together and they had relations, I'm the one that took that egg. And I'm the one that took that womb, uh, that, that, that sperm. And I am the one that put that together and made you an embryo. It is my hands that were at the very beginning of taking all of that. I'm the one that began to knit you together. I'm the one that began to put you together before I even formed you in the womb. By the way, at the moment of conception, that embryo, at the moment of conception, that embryo contains enough genetic information to control that human's growth and development for an entire lifetime. That embryo, listen to this, that embryo already has enough DNA, the embryo, to fill the equivalent of a library of a thousand volumes or 600,000 printed pages with 500 words on every single page. So God says, hey, before I formed you, before I knitted you, before I put you together, before I took that egg and that sperm in the womb. What's true about that? He goes on. <clears throat> before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now just let that sink in for a minute. God said, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now, you have to understand what the Hebrew word knew means. The Hebrew word know or knew doesn't just mean to be familiar with, right? I mean, Chris, I know you, you know me, and you know, I, I, you know, I, I, know, I know a lot of you folks out there, right? I mean, I know you, I know Melvin, I know, that's not what the word means. That word is used for when Adam came to know his wife. It literally means to love. It, it means to cherish. It means to, it means to just, you know, really just, just treasure someone. So here's what God said to Jeremiah. This is amazing. He said, Jeremiah, I didn't just love you when I conceived you. I loved you before you were even conceived. Now get your mind around that. I didn't love you at the moment of conception. I loved you even before you are conceived. In other words, get this, you ready for this? Let me tell you how much God loves you. Let me tell you how much God loves me. God loved you before your parents even met. God loved me before my parents ever, ever knew each other in a, in a sexual way. God knew me and God loved me. You know what that means? 
Every single baby that's ever been born on the planet Earth is not a human idea, it's God's idea. He's the one that brought it together. He's the one that did it together. He saw it before it even happened. That's why every life is precious to God. Born, unborn, hey, conceived or not even yet conceived. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now I could just stop right there, but it gets more amazing. He says, before you were born, I set you apart. Now think about that. Before you were born, I set you apart. In other words, God not only knows of us before we're conceived, but even before we're born, he claims us. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I'm a pastor. God called me to do that. Now, in my mind, I didn't know God called me until I was a senior in college. But what I now know is, God, you are, it, this thing was fixed. Before I was even born, you called me to be a preacher. Before I was even born, you set me apart. Before I was even born, you had a plan for my life. You had a purpose for my life. Well, then he goes even deeper. Listen to this. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now watch this. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God said, Jeremiah, before you came out of your mother's womb, I knew you'd write this book. I knew you'd be a prophet to the nation of Israel because that's exactly what I called you to do. That was my plan for you. That was my purpose for you. That was my will for you. Before you came out of your mother's womb, God had a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And you're, the number one thing you need to do after you meet Jesus, get in on that. What is it? What do you want me to do? And do it for the rest of your life. Now, frankly, I could preach four or five more messages on this topic. And I thought about it a long time, and I thought, I've given them a lot, a lot to digest, a lot of emotional churning going on. So I thought, you know what? Let me just tell them a story. A great way to end a message is by telling a story. So I want you to close your Bibles, put down your iPads, close your cell phone. Don't be thinking about what you're going to eat, be eating lunch for today. Just give me your full attention for the next four minutes. First of all, if you have an iPhone, would you just hold up your iPhone? If you have an iPhone, just hold up your iPhone. All right. How many of you have an iPad? Hold up your iPad. Okay. Just keep that in mind. Kind of giving it away, but keep it in mind. Let me tell you a story about a boy named Stephen. He was born in San Francisco to an unmarried mother. She was a graduate student at the time, and she thought, I I'm a graduate student. I'm single. The dad doesn't want to have anything to do with the child. I really can't afford this in my life. This is a tremendous inconvenience. And she had to make a decision. She decides not to have an abortion. She decides to have the baby. And she puts this baby up for adoption. He's almost immediately adopted by an accountant named Claire and a machinist named Paul. They, they give Stephen a, a loving home. He graduated from high school, but he didn't like school. He attended college briefly, and he dropped out. And for the next 18 months, doing everything from returning empty Coke bottles to working in a mall for $3 an hour, he just kind of was making ends meet. Then in 1974, things turned around, and Stephen became a designer for a video game giant called Atari. Created one of the most popular games of that time called Breakout. 
Well, people began to take notice of Stephen. People began to realize this guy's not your ordinary Steve. This guy's got, he's got some, he's got some stuff upstairs. So two years later, he left to start a new computer company with two buddies of his. They chose a very simple name for their company. You may have heard of it. It's called Apple. <laughs> the late Steve Jobs is considered one of the greatest creative minds of all time. So the next time you pick up an iPad and the next time you pick up an iPhone, get on your knees and thank God that a woman didn't say yes to abortion. She said yes to life. Every time, every time, thank God she didn't say, well, my body, my choice. Thank God that woman said, you know what? Not going to do that. I'm going to let this baby live. I preach real strong. And I just want to say one thing, one last paragraph, we're going to be done. There is no need for anyone listening right now, and send your emails, I'm, I've got number four. There's no need for anybody to be mad at me, upset with me. If you can refute anything I've said, please have at it. I'm just simply telling you from a biological, logical, and theological standpoint, the strongest ground you stand on is the pro-life platform. Now, having said that, I want to say something to the other of you who are listening right now, and maybe you've had an abortion. Let me just make something very plain. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. There's all the grace and forgiveness in the world for anybody, whether it's abortion, whether it's pornography, whether it's lying, whether it's cheating, whether it's stealing, whether, whatever it may be. It's not the impartable sin. And I would say to women out there listening to me right now, and, and you've been convicted and you feel guilty, let me just say something to you. Get off the guilt trip. Take the grace trip. All you got to do is just go to Jesus and say, look, I did it. Shouldn't have done it. Please forgive me. He will forgive you. He will love you. He'll restore you. But if you're a woman and you are pregnant, and you're thinking about it, you're, you're wondering, here's all I'm saying. Let the God that gave you not only your life, but the life that is in your womb, let God take that child. Trust God for the rest because God is pro-life. We ought to be pro-life for life. Let me tell you how, let me, just, let me just close with this, not in my notes. Let me tell you how pro-life God is. God is so pro-life he not only just sent his son to die for our sins that we might have physical life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life and never perish. I, for one, I'm thankful for a God that is pro-life. I'm thankful for a mother that risked her life to bring this guy into the world. And I'm just saying to you, this is too big of an issue just to fight about, fuss about, try to have emotional debates about. I'm asking all of us today to really consider what's biologically confirmed, what is logically consistent, what is theologically commanded.
Because I promise you this, you'll never regret being pro-life. Would you? Would you just pray for me and pray with me right now for just a moment with heads bowed and with eyes closed? Particularly those of you who are watching right now, I, I, I hope you understand this. I don't judge anybody. I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. I'm not saying that it's an easy decision at times to have a baby. I'm not saying any of those things. What I am simply saying is this. If God is the creator of all of life, then all of life ought to be left in the hands of God. That's all I'm saying. But here's the important thing for me today. The important thing to me is not abortion, whether you've had one or not, whether you think about having one. The important thing for, for me is do you have eternal life? If you died today, do you know you'd spend eternity with the God that gave you life, with the God that created you, with the God that made you? That's why God sent Jesus. That is why God sent Jesus, that we might have life, eternal life, more abundant life. So if you've never, ever, ever come to Jesus, if you've never repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, why don't you do that? Why don't you just in your heart right now say something like this, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need a savior. I can't save myself. You died for my sins. God raised you from the dead. You're alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of all of my sins. I surrender my life to you. I trust you as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. You prayed that prayer. Yes, I did. Would you let us hear from you? Would you just go to this website, crosspointchurch.com slash next? Would you just go to that website right now? Just let us know that you made that decision. We baptized a man you may have seen just a while ago. His name's James. So what a blessing. He was up there with tears in his eyes. I got tears in mine. Comes up to me last Sunday. Last Sunday, walks up to me in the lobby. Hey, I just want you to know, I prayed with you and I asked Christ into my heart and God saved me and God changed me. And I'll never be the same again. If that's you, let us hear from you. If you're in this building, if you're in this room and that's you, and you prayed to receive Christ just now, you, you prayed and you asked Jesus into your heart. Let me tell you what I want you to do. When you walk out of this building, there's a table out there called Next Steps. You can't miss it. I want you to go to that table and just let somebody out there know, hey, I, I gave my life to Jesus today. I trusted Christ as my Lord and my Savior today. Something like that, that's all. We want to give you some information to help you get started in your walk with the Lord. By the way, James being baptized, you know that's the very first step a believer is supposed to take is to follow Jesus in baptism. There's some of you in this room and you'd say, I'm a believer, I know the Lord, but you've never been biblically baptized since you got saved. You don't have to do that to be saved, but you wanna do that because you've been saved. That's the way you let people know you become a believer. That's your profession of faith. I'm gonna ask you today, go out to the lobby, go to that table, say, hey, I know the Lord, I've been saved, but I, I've never been baptized, I wanna do that. Or maybe you've been looking for a church home and you'd like to be a part of this church. We'd like to have you be a part of this. Now, who do you know? Who's your one that needs to hear the truth of God's word, that grace and forgiveness is always available. Who's that one that you'll share this with even this week? Father, I want to thank you. I, I'm, I'm living proof. <laughs> I'm thankful for the pro-life position. I'm thankful that I serve a God that's pro-life. 
I'm thankful for a God that says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked because you're pro-life. Lord, I just pray that our people would be equipped in a compassionate and loving way to minister to those especially that may be concerning this. Lord, I pray for Obria, the, 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 the crisis pregnancy center that we help financially, that we volunteer to serve. God bless those wonderful men and women who serve that pro-life cause. And Lord, even this week, give us the opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus who can change anybody forever. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, as Ryan comes up, let me just say one last thing. So next week, we're going to end up this series, wind up this series. I kind of saved, you can call it the best of the worst, but I saved it for last. We're going to be talking about transgenderism. Big issue. Humongous issue. And so I hope you'll pray. I hope you'll be back next week. I hope that you will be inviting people to come. And then on February, I think it's February the 1st, we're having another Q&A session. Would love to have you be a part uh, of that. So, Ryan, you got a word.